Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 224. Today is Sunday the 19th of February 2017. And this interview is with Roger Gorman, who is founder and CEO of ProFinder, an innovative employee-centric collaboration platform that intelligently organizes people around work. To quote him, it's a next-generation knowledge exchange matching people to work. Roger's at the cutting edge of the workforce of the future. In this chat, we discuss the keys to making a more collaborative environment at work, the executive committee of the future, as well as Roger's recent experience on a panel at Davos. In addition, we hear Roger's strong social calling, engaging and sparking discussion about things that matter. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes for the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue. Today, someone of high energy. So get ready, folks. Roger Gorman. Roger Gorman is the founder and runs ProFinder, which I had the great chance to use thanks to my association to TLA, Tech London Advocates. So uh, now I know a little bit about ProFinder, but you're going to need to tell us, uh, Roger, who you are and what's your mindset. Uh, Hi, thanks so much, Minter. So yes, Roger Gorman. um, So my background is a a blend of behavioral psychology and digital innovation. So I've been fascinated by that intersection for the longest time. Um, So it wasn't surprising that I've ended up building a platform and an approach to helping shift companies and people and networks and communities along a line of better connectivity. So tell us how you got into this. I mean, behavioral psychology seems, I mean, so far removed from regular business, I mean, let's say from the outside, but in the end of the day, we are all behaving every day. So I, uh, I think it originally stemmed from working in monstrous organizations and struggling to understand why it was so hard for other people to want to connect and collaborate. And uh, a long time ago, as I started sort of experiencing this, I sort of found it very interesting. And it seemed seemed to me that the obvious uh, sort of genesis was around uh, the mind. It was about empathy and attitude. So being someone that loved to connect, I started thinking, well, if I want to be any good at this, I need to start to study this. So that began a long love affair with both the academics and then the practical, and importantly, the practical application of the best techniques around a nudge, psychology, and sort of deep thinking around social and behavioral psychology. So one of the things that uh, attracted me was we, as we got to meet at that lovely uh, dinner we, we attended the other day, was the fact that you have a very mixed background, and I would say I naturally gravitate towards that kind of thing, the fact that you have music and everything. So in, in terms of your mixed background, how are, and, and uh, with regard to the journey of ProFinder, tell us uh, where you are in ProFinder, and maybe what is your mindset? Well, I think it stems definitely from a creative aspiration. So um, people that listen to my music or have listened to my music or my my views might not agree with that, but I like to think of myself as a creative. Um, So now I've gone into the world of work, and obviously that was a long time ago, and I've been immersed with work. I'm trying to apply creative. Well, I can't help myself. It's a creative process to solve problems. Um, So the business has been around for, uh, one of the ideas has been around for 15 years, how we can better connect people. Uh, The business has been uh, alive for five years, but we've been actively talking for three so it's still relatively new, but we're getting to the point with a, a few dozen clients and we're about to move in for this year to some monstrous clients to really have the chance to prove this works. 
Well, brilliant. You know, at the end of the day, it sounds almost pat that you're in this business of networking. But obviously, if you started 15 years ago, you were ahead of your time. So you, you, Profine has been around for basically five years, as I understand it, although live, as you say, for the last three. What have been your lessons? As you've approached companies now, you have some experience under your belt. How, how do you describe the learnings you've had as you've gone through this journey? Well, the, the framework I've used is from before Profinder. And so the framing I've had is that I've actually um, been lucky enough to win four, uh, very, for me, I was very privileged to win four very substantial jobs running innovation for large companies. Um, what's interesting is I've been fired four times. And so I have been sort of battle hardened. And the reason on reflection, all of those four jobs fell apart was because of my um, sort of this famous quote of, you know, the, the intersection between uh, um, uh, an unstoppable force and an unmovable ob- object. So I was not able to stop my thinking and hope that uh, connectivity and moving culture was uh, an important thing. Um, what I recognized was I was never going to do it with inside a company. So I, f- I learned firsthand what it was like to try to move the dial on people's attitude, on systems, on buying new systems and thinking about new approaches. Um, it was a fool's errand to do it internally. Um, as a result, uh, and I find myself obviously uh, essentially empl- uh, unemployed again, it was a natural junction to think, okay, uh, this is time to do it, but from the outside in. And, uh, and as a result, we found that um, there's a whole method, um, a sort of uh, methodology we need to apply even before and during and after we go live. So actually, the solution is only 50% technology. 50% is all about change and uh, back to our friend behavioral psychology. All right. Um, so when you're layering it in into the company, what are the things that need to happen in order for it to be successful? So you, you brought it into a company, they brought you in, hey, Roger, we like, we like what you're doing, you're helping network and connecting people. What are the things that will allow for success as you get into a company? There's basically two views, and we, we try to do both. The first is the classic adoption program, so thinking about understanding champions, influencing the various groups, understanding before we go in which groups want to connect and collaborate, and actually answering the question, why do they want to collaborate? That helps to articulate the language you're going to use, the time frames you're going to employ, etc. Um, so there's, a, there's, there's an endless array of uh, mechanics that we need to adopt uh, through the pre-planning and uh, and adoption phases of technology Um, but the other lens which is critical again is is behavioral psychology so what we're really doing is we have to look at what's worked and what hasn't worked and what's worked is it's been never a system where um, a a company like Microsoft or a company like uh, well interesting companies like Shazam um, they haven't forced you to use Shazam you use Shazam because you can't wait to get your hand in your Mm -hmm. pocket fast enough because that song is something you really want to know what it is and log it so that you can find it next time and the experience is a delight Mm -hmm. I have yet to see any B2B technology that makes people smile normally it's a grimace well I mean let's say that most people go into work with a grimace (laughs) so they start with the wrong footing yeah, well, I think, <laughs> I, think, I think the main thing is the companies have a chance to stop buying management technology, which is what's basically happened for the longest time. What do you mean by management technology? So if you are in the, the, the world of work and you are, it's your job to oversee change, your job to oversee people and systems and so on, what you do is you buy, manage, you buy technology for yourself. And that technology is a great example would be timesheets. So um, I need to deploy timesheets because I need to know what's happening. I need to track my staff. The outcome? 
is everybody hates timesheets. Um, if you look about CRM, you find me someone that can't wait to put their information on their clients and their prospects into a CRM system. It's never happened. Um, there will be some characters out there. I'd love to meet them. Um, but uh, but Usually I, it's in their little black book. It's in their little black book, exactly. It's too hard. It's too painful. There's nothing in it for them. So the second lens I'm talking about is we have to hit the reset button. We have to think about deploying technology and services and solutions that make the employee a rock star, help them with their challenges, but actually make it delightful. So it's back to psychology. So the, the view that we're taking is let's, let's start there. Let's not buy management technology or think about ma- management technology. Let's, uh, let's focus on the end employee and what makes them happy. All right, let's now talk a little bit more about Profind itself. What exactly, what problem is it fixing in a company and how does it work? Um, so great question. So the problem we're solving fundamentally is in any company beyond 200 people, and even though most of the firms we're dealing with are sort of 50,000 plus, nobody knows anybody. So firms have spent the longest time and huge amounts of money to hire incredible people. And the moment they're in the job, nobody knows anybody. Right. How do you mean nobody knows anybody? I know you, Roger. So, yeah, so it's a, it's a great question, one I, I, I relish. Um, so when we say we know somebody, we know a little about them. They, they are great at tennis. They've got a tennis background. Um, they speak another language. I can't quite remember what it was. Was it French or German? But I know, anyway, I know they've got two daughters and we're going to have dinner next week. And we think we know them. That is not knowing somebody. Mm. Um, there are two views of knowing somebody. Obviously, in life, it's about the implicit knowledge. It's like, you know, they have a propensity to respond in a certain way to certain mm. things. Invaluable. And you can't codify that. No. But what you can codify is the stuff that makes companies sing. And that's not been done before. That is, uh, the, the, the t- it's basically looking at all the, the, the brands they've been a part of, the projects they've worked on, the aspirational skills they have. All that stuff is codifiable. It's there. It's spread across and atomized across an organization. So timesheets, LinkedIn, payroll, ATS system data, CRM systems. Many things without acronyms are probably places Mm. where there are bits of data on people. So what we do is we use machine learning and AI to pull together and aggregate an amazing view, uh, a digital view, a digital map of sort of a social graph and a knowledge graph. Right. So let me just break that down a second. Uh, Because just before you said, well, you don't want... People don't want to fill in stuff, you know. So if I had to fill in a form that says, oh, I speak these languages and I, I like tennis, and, and as, as some software management programs did for HR, so I've seen that. But people generally just don't fill it in. There's a feeling of people are spying on me if I write in this, if I write in my sexuality or my religion or this and that. It can cause conflict. So how do you scrape that data and, and make it, you know, v- you know valid? Yeah, so it's great. So we have, we, our tool can basically uh, leverage data from any source, pretty much. Um, now, for the longest time, businesses believed that data that was worthy was in HR solutions, and it's not. Uh, almost every HR tool is already dealing with very stagnant, fragmented data that doesn't, doesn't hold too much information. Where the value is, is in productivity systems. And so what we can do is we can allow firms to choose, like a menu, the places they're comfortable getting. Now, my view on this, take email as a very good example. Which are, you're going to consider a productivity tool? I, I, yeah, for, for hopefully a productivity tool. Um, the, way, the way to think about it is at the moment, and all the clients we're talking to in this year itself, 2017, is probably about 4 to 5% of companies are ready 
to allow com- allow firms like ours to help them by uh, not looking for naughty words or sentiment, but simply pick out the fact that someone has been talking about Bitcoin 181 times in the last six months. And therefore they might be, and they're probably very interested or interesting and very uh, knowledgeable in that particular area. That's all we're looking for. Now, the way to play this is that thinking about... Um, uh, you know, the stuff you use from Google. So almost everybody uses Google Maps a lot. They're using Gmail a lot. At some point, they've made a, made a trade. They know that Google, somewhere, somehow, has a little bit more information on them, but the value you're getting back is tremendous. Um, so we're saying the same thing. We're saying, look, you can carry on writing that email uh, blindly and sending out to 600 people, and you know that you're feeling a bit awkward because you're going to get in trouble for that. Or if you turn on this turbocharge button by participating in a collective, mm-hmm. what we can do is we can show you the five people that genuinely are the rock stars and you can go to them straight away. You mentioned before, Roger, that the, you said four to five percent of companies are, are, have the, are ready with the mindset, assuming that means the 200 employees and above. But I can't help but think that what you're describing is more around the kind of companies that are in the knowledge area, i.e. consultancies, accountancies, or, or those kind of lawyers. Is, is it possible, or is, it, is, that, is that, first of all, right? And if, if it's not, what other types of companies, you know, from my background, cosmetics company, how appropriate is it for other types of companies that do different, you know, more manufacturing-oriented and so on? So, so um, in almost all the industries that we can talk about here, there is a knowledge function. So some have a bit like what they call a diamond shape. There's the very top part of the business, which is a knowledge-based set of workers. So in Bupa, you might argue of a company of 64,000, 11 to 12,000 really, really need to know about each other. But they're not connected today. Right through to when you talk about a PwC, you've got 215,000 people that desperately need to know about each other more profoundly, more intelligently every single day. When you look at the oil and gas companies, pharmaceutical, when you look at uh, media firms and so on and so on, all of these companies are successful. They live or die based on how well they can coordinate their network. Now, the point that we're very keen to exploit is the concept of a company is already an archaic term because you're talking about people inside their four walls. Everything is changing in a glorious way. We're distributed. We're distributed. We're becoming more like we're Uberizing uh, knowledge, right? So what's actually happening is the theme is either the gig economy, you can call it the fungible workforce, you can call it the borderless workforce. What's happening is take uh, take a business like PwC. In the future, my hope and my dream for them, as well as us, is that they won't be 215,000 people. They'll be 5,000 people leveraging a new borderless workforce of consultants and contingent workers. We have seen the contingent workers in many firms as 43%, and it's getting stronger. But almost all of these people across all these knowledge-based firms live on Excel and other uh, systems that are not up for the job. So what we're trying to say is, wouldn't it be amazing if you can connect the contingent workforce, the alumni networks, the corporate, the core business themselves, and even their network? Um, uh, That unlocks everything. So that transforms three main things. It transforms hiring and recruitment. It transforms knowledge sharing. And it transforms uh, bids and opportunities around that. I want to dig in on one area which sort of sparked in my mind listening to you, Roger, was when... You're in those type of industries, let's say PwC or McKinsey. Generally speaking, your IP is your knowledge, my experience and everything. And so sometimes there's a guardedness about wanting to share what I know because that's how I do my billing. And then my remuneration is based on how many clients I have and and what value I I seem to be bringing to the customer. So how can a profinder help break that, that type of issue down? 
So, so if we look at the, the, the model that, that we can rest comfortably on is the workforce of the future. So if you look at the left, everything that was is getting a bit grey and a bit dusty, and that's things like annual appraisals. They never worked. Um, the, the old boy network that has virtues but also is slowing down diversity, inclusion and so on. Um, there are about 50 items that represent this sort of archaic and slightly older way of doing business. Mm-hmm. The old business model is essentially one where you build a f- legal framework and an operational framework around people and you sell scarcity to that. What happens and what's happening now, which is glorious, is companies' job is to get out of the way and empower the internal customer and the external customer to get together. Mm-hmm. That empowerment can be seen in Airbnb and other mm-hmm. solutions. The sharing economy is another good example there. If we then look to the right of the workforce of the future, you've got this very clear transition. So it's not about a nine-to-five job. It's about working anytime, anywhere. It's not about hoarding information. It's about sharing information. Mm-hmm. So when back to our old friend about adoption and change, what mm-hmm. we're really looking at is you need to get from top down as well, not just bottom up, a reward mechanic, a culture that rewards sharing, not hoarding information. So we, for example, won't even go in near a company that's still incentivizing people around self-serving thinking mm-hmm. um and it's so this is part of your four to five percent i mean how you sort of feel you don't go into those ones that don't have that type of sharing attitude yeah i mean the, the, every company i mean you find me a company in the world that says on their brochure yeah we're trying to become more uh, siloed we're trying to uh, break that you know we're trying to do but it doesn't happen right every company talks about yeah, we're all, all, they all talk about it but who actually mm-hmm. is doing it uh, from my perspective and i'm probably saying too much um very few. Mm-hmm. The brochureware is stunning. In fact, the brochureware yeah. could be our website. Mm-hmm. But when you get into the weeds of it, they might be great doing it for their clients, but themselves, it's very, very hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cobbler shoes, right? We, we, we're aware of this. Um, but really, I mean, the opportunity right now is to, for us is to, as we are, we're, we're trying to find companies that are ready. The, the, the senior market is ready to buy and invest their time. Um, too often what happens in too many firms is it becomes a hobby for someone quite important. Right. And a shiny toy I get to play with. A shiny toy, and that won't work. You need to die in a ditch for this. Um, this needs to be your thing. So it needs to be a commitment from every single stakeholder, from us. It's a commitment from our time. Um, it needs to be a commitment from the company and the stakeholders across the supply chain. Who go, Who actually are the buyers of your... I mean, in other words, who calls you up and says, I need ProFinder? Is it typically HR or do you get the CEO uh, involved? Well, well, quick side comment. I think HR um, is and should be about the most important function in any company because every brochure where talks about it's about our people. Mm-hmm. So why is the HR function probably the least invested function in the company? It's, it's ludicrous. So uh, a little note to anyone listening who is investing in these functions, please put more money and time and resources into HR. They, they need it. They deserve it. Because everyone that's hired that's not very good is because of HR, mm-hmm. because they've been shortchanged. Um, but no, in terms of our um, in terms of our commitment going forward, um, the bigger the company gets, the more convoluted it gets, and actually you end up with multiple stakeholders all having a decision. When you're about to get a decision two years into a sales cycle, that person has now left. Mm. It's a very messy process. So um, in the sh- uh, sort of one to five thousand range, you typically get a CEO going, "This is definitely what we want to do." Sometimes an executive chairman steps up and says, "This is what we want to do." As you get to the sort of fifty thousand. 100,000 and so on and beyond. Um, yes, there's an entire step by the stakeholders. The budgets typically come from ops and, and perhaps from IT, mm-hmm. um, but the stakeholders are aft, absolutely have to be bought in. Obviously, uh, ops, um, project resourcing um, parts of the function, um, the CFO is a key member, um, basically everyone across the C-suite because if you get your house in order, which is our sort of pro mantra, um, it impacts everything from onboarding 
through to bids to resourcing and utilization issues, which is a key thing for all FDs, um, but also revenues for the bids team, M&A. Um, I mean, you find me an M&A that's been a glorious success story. You've got two car crashes. We're trying to turn it into a ballet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so really, the opportunity is, is for everybody. And that's why we do need kind of most buy-in. All right, so you, we, you were just mentioning before the left and right of the workforce of the future. And so by which we typically in our minds think about the 50,000 employees. How about the executive committee of the future and maybe the board of directors of the future? Because these two functions tend to be sort of lost in that uh, big sweeping generalization of the workforce of the future. Uh, that's a great question. I mean, I think from my own experience, uh, uh, and absolutely to the heart of diversity and inclusion, what we're looking for is a board that is absolutely diverse. You can't just have probably very smart and very experienced accountants running your firm because it will go in one direction. Pound for pound. Very, very unfair binary comment. Um, but you need someone like that on the board. You absolutely do. At the same breath, you need weird and wacky. You need people that have had a spectrum of experiences and talent. Like you. Uh, yeah, one day. One day I pity the company. But, uh, but um, yeah, so, so really, for, from our perspective, my view on the, the boards going forward is, I mean, look at Trump's administration. So I'll make a punchy point here. I mean, it's, it's just poetically ironic at what's happening there. Um, so really, yeah, the board of the future, in my mind, absolutely has to be made up of a beautifully diverse, weird and wacky. You've got to get a few weirdos in the, in the room as well, right, to give you that sort of resilience around decision making. Um, otherwise, you end up going down these uh, rabbit warrens. And, and how can Profine help that? Well, so on, on, a, on a currency for board, I think I'll, I'll expand if I made that question, Go for it. which is every single time a project team is put together... I think it's hard for someone to say every single time to the history of mankind, it's, there's never been an optimized meeting or pitch team in the world ever. Mm-hmm. Because there's always someone that should have been in that room and often someone that shouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. Every time. Yeah. Because we don't know who we need to know. Right. And obviously when you get to be on 50, 100 people, it's, it becomes a profound comment, I hope. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to making decisions... Uh, we have relied on our old boy network and the loose networks that we rely on every single time. And that obviously is a bit of a challenge. So when it comes to making, uh, thinking about diversity and inclusion, the thing that's going to move the dial on this for both networks, communities, companies, even philanthropy and, and charities, um, is to remind ourselves that we all suffer from something called homophily, which is a subconscious bias for like-mindedness. Mm-hmm. We all have it, whatever color you are or shape you are and so on. The only non-sexist, non-ageist, non-racist thing in the world is an algorithm in terms of decisions. So we need to adopt an algorithm um, in any, every part of the decision flow. It doesn't have to be the end-to-end part of the decision flow, but it needs to be part of like, making your long list more intelligent. At that point, you can use your tacit knowledge to make decisions that, that no machine can appreciate. It makes, it makes me think about this notion that in, whenever we use AI or machine learning, it's actually machine plus human learning that actually makes the strongest connection. But when we're talking about the creation of a team and diversity, there's an expression that says, go alone and you go faster, go together and you go further. Similarly, when you're working with a team where everybody's like-minded, you might go faster, but it's unlikely you're going to go further because you don't have that diversity that allows you to stretch further. All the same, you do need chemistry. And as a behavioral psychologist, you know, not talking about Profinder, how, how, how does one approach that? I mean, just I was thinking maybe you could have an opinion on that too. Uh, no, ever much. Well, remember that chemistry is also built. It's not just when you walk in the door and there's a group of 16 people, you either fit or you don't. 
before you think about so many relationships that have formed over the years, sometimes your first initiation is like, this is not someone for me. But because of the nuances of who they are, you blend and actually you morph and change around them as well. There's something called neuroplasticity, which is where the neurons in the mind will literally rewire to mimic the positive behaviors right. in others. Like if you hug somebody, your heartbeat, or if you hug somebody for more than seven seconds or something like that, your heartbeat starts mimicking. A- absolutely, right? So really interesting stuff. So I think, I think the point back to what I was saying earlier is the ultimate outcome that we can hope for is a blend between um, intelligence from algorithms and matching technology meets the tacit knowledge of individuals trying to make the right decision. And what we're doing from a technology perspective is just trying our best to begin the process of a better forming opportunity team each time. Mm. At that point, there might be 20 people in the room and you end up with 10. But actually, that 10 will be more functional and have the longer and faster uh, opportunity than before. So uh, one of the things that um, when we met, you had just come back from Switzerland and a little town called Davos. And uh, so tell us a little bit about what you did there and uh, share us a little bit your experience of that Davos uh, committee that you're on well so yeah so it so this is a this is a love affair um a sort of love hate affair with um the notion of davos so i was very lucky to be on stage with three other people uh one was the global ceo and chairman of uh of ey uh one was the uh, of manpower and the other of abb the sort of engineering manufacturing uh, engineering giant um and we're talking about three titans and three firms who are profound in what they do um, my experience was, and also just as I stood there waiting to go on, I realized the person in my seat before I got on was Matt Damon. So I thought oh. there was no pressure there. But actually, I was so excited by Matt Damon, I actually calmed down and I actually enjoyed the process. But, but fundamentally, the session was about the fourth industrial revolution, how the technology is going to change over the ro- you know, putting robots in place, automation of talent and so on. And to a question from you earlier, um, what a consultant, for example, is valuable for isn't data. Um, it's insight based on that data. And um, I think the, the life and also creativity and uh, that sort of side of things will not be automated for the longest time, perhaps forever. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Um, but there's a huge journey now of um, people focusing their uh, the human value in that piece. So anyway, the, 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 it's a very interesting experience. I loved it. Um, but what struck me is, once again, the profound need for more intelligent connectivity. So Davos is, was such an eloquent ex- uh, experience. You have 8,500 people that flew all around the world all that time, and forgetting the, the CO2 emissions, uh, mm. to get there, um, to be in a, a set of rooms and hotel environments, um, having drinks and chatting. And essentially, in an evening, in a room full of 500 amazing people, you shake the wrong 20 hands. Now, you do meet amazing people, and definitely, I was sitting in a cab, and I find myself talking to um, a president of uh, Unichef. I uh, was in a queue, a security queue in a hotel, and I realized I was talking to Bob Dudley, the group CEO of BP. These are very unusual circumstances. But of the 8,500 people, that I, and of those that I wanted to meet and that would be interested in meeting me, I probably didn't meet anyone. So we have to think about, going back to my passion, is intelligent connectivity. Mm. Davos is an amazing step forward. But it's only part of the story. Can you imagine? And by the way, the app that you get given on that experience is literally a Rolodex of a directory of names. With nothing else. How do I know who I'm supposed to? It's, not, it's absolute madness. You know what I mean? I mean, let's just talk about that a second. Event apps, which are designed to help meet up and everybody. I, I, I find them either spammy. Because otherwise people start saying, hey, mentor, I need to meet you. Come to my booth. And they, you, you just, they turn off. Or they're just not easy to help me understand who I want to meet. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm, I'm glad you're, this is this is one of my missions this year. So we've we've got a number of event businesses that want to take our intelligence and apply it predict the predictive quality of our intelligence to the event app market. So yes, I'm like you. I've sort of I am. I'm so frustrated and disappointed because you can have great content and you know the room's full of great people, but you will shake the wrong 20 hands. So how do we solve this? So people talk about Tinder events. Well, they've missed the point. It's not about more noise. What you, maybe the more eloquent example is an intelligent Tinder uh, at an event would be the ultimate solution. So that's what we're actually looking to solve as well. It sounds, I mean, I'm just thinking about me. I probably also personally would do well to know better about whom I'm looking for as well. Because I, you know, let's say like you, I have lots of interests and I sometimes maybe don't get focused in on exactly who I, I don't have an image of who I need to meet. How, how do you make that clearer? Uh, that's a great question. Well, this, this, this is of the friend of all machine learning and AI. So what, so what we have, for example, one of our assets is a 50,000 ontology of, uh, not a taxonomy, but an ontology of terms and competencies and interests. So what that means when you're going to a place, you kind of broadly say, look, I'm sort of interested in funding. I'm, and ProFund is a good example. While we're on our funding journey, we have such a big philanthropic story. I'm not just looking for institutional funding. I'm actually looking for philanthropic impact investors. Mm-hmm. Well, when I walk into a room and I'm looking for investors, that's the classic journey. Now, I probably re- meet the wrong investors. I know in that room, someone somewhere either is or knows an impact investor and social impact. Mm-hmm. I would like to meet them. So it makes me think that actually it's in the tagging as you come in. What needs to happen is, is kind of a push saying, here are some tags, which one is like, like a flipboard. When you're looking at it, they give you already a pre-program. So if you don't have time, you just t- click Pick the easy ones. But if you want to go a little bit further, you can write in I, Grateful Dead. And then I have my, my, exactly, my exactly. board on Grateful Dead. And that, that way you can start maybe getting a little bit more learning and, and uh, propose to me better people to meet. And, and that's exactly what we do. So we, we use a blend of machine learning, AI, and NLP. So natural language processing. So, for example, in, uh, in the, the, the example we keep using of late is I'm looking for Bitcoin experts that ideally speak French based in London or New York. Well, there's a packet of information there. What our tool does is extract Bitcoin, but it also suggests cryptocurrency and blockchain. Now, you never thought about asking for that, mm-hmm. but our tool, right. our tool knows that there are some rock stars behind the system that have that competencies. Um, so it's suggesting now you choose those tags where you hadn't before. The next thing is it understands that ideally speaks French is a nice to have, not a prerequisite. So mm-hmm. it becomes right. a, a piece of the waiting. Secondary. Exactly. So when you get the results from the the, the the system it, it ranks it based on app, the key word is relevance and it's a it's a powerful word because people for the longest time were building apps for example that try to match people because they're in the same cafe absolute nonsense because of the geographic proximity does not make it a relevant person right i'm not going to marry someone because they're luckily next door to me i mean that was that's the amish community and that's <laughs> that was life a, a few hundred years ago gratefully you can meet people uh, for work and for love and so on based on true relevance What's the future of ProFinder hold? Well, fingers crossed, um, we're going to expand on our, our, our client base right now, and we're going to create more reference points. In our, in our universe, um, the big clients predominantly buy on reference. So the moment we get a couple of the first banks across the line, other banks will follow and consultancy firms and so on. Our real mission is to connect 2.1 billion professionals who will be online um, it by 2020. And we'll, we believe we're going to achieve that through our corporate story, our community platform, which is a, a similar model. Um, but uh, if you think about uh, the world of communities, every alumni, professional body, niche group, and so on, is what I would call digitally homeless. 
Um, as great as it is, I do not think a LinkedIn group counts. I don't think a newsletter counts. So our platform is perfectly aligned to bring those groups together. And the third zone is philanthropy. So if you like the Ashokas of this world, phenomenal networks of philanthropists and volunteers um, on a platform that's not doing them service. And I'm saying this very unfair. I've never spoken to them. I'd love to speak to them. But we can help every single one of those philanthropic networks come together. Now, if you think of those three things as a Venn diagram, the intersection is fascinating. The intersection between corporate and philanthropy is CSR which presently desperately needs a 2.0 assigned to it. The intersection between companies and communities is alumni and contingent workers. So what I'm doing ultimately, and this is the journey of the next five years, is is empowering these thiefdoms to become empowered Mm. and allow them to be hyper-efficient, create amazing new utilization opportunities and, and revenue streams and move the talent agenda, and bring them towards the central part of that Venn diagram. And what that basically accounts to is triple bottom line accounting. Companies can truly be effective in the community. Charities and volunteering can skyrocket. There's $350 billion a year of love, pro bono, love left on the shelf because no one has connected the dots. It's, it's uh, unforgivable. That's part of our mission. So actually what we're trying to do is bring the world together intelligently. And that's back to our probably my opening comments, which is I'm trying desperately to connect people intelligently. Love it. Roger, great ambition and, and really good ambition as well so uh, how can someone find out more about you profinder what's the best way to connect with you uh, well um j- come jump on profinder.com uh, there's a whole range to get through this obviously there's a twitter account linkedin um we are building a workforce of the community so anyone who's passionately trying to change the world through work and, and life uh let us know and you can join our community which we're building on the side we hope to go live in a couple of months um other than that yeah just shout away on the website we'll be there Thanks a lot for coming to the show, Roger. Great to have you on. Thank you. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, film me. All your colors any different way To rid me of the gray And heal me With all your imperfections that you mention In your lack of self-security Oh, I wouldn't care about the Yeah,
You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.